For the last couple of weeks, we've been going through a series of messages called 2020 Vision. 2020 Vision. We've been talking about spiritual eyesight and how it really does change everything when you see something from God's point of view. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about this. We talked about failure. Now, how many of you have ever failed? Yeah, we all have. And so when we see failure from God's point of view, it changes us because we realize, hey, God wants us to get up and move beyond our failure. And then a few weeks ago, we looked at this topic, loneliness. How many of you have ever been lonely? Well, we all have. And so as we look at that from God's point of view, it helps us move forward in our lives. Last week, we looked at problems from God's perspective. And we saw that God wants us to be pioneers who push through our problems to accomplish his purpose. And today, we're going to look at a really important topic through God's um, eyes, and that is the topic of people. People. Now, what I've been encouraging you to do for the last several weeks is to put on a special kind of glasses. We call them gospel glasses. You could call them sunglasses, S-O-N, because the gospel is about who? It's about God's son, about Jesus. And when you look at things the way that Jesus looks at things, it does really change everything. And, and here's the reality, um, and we know this. What is one of the greatest sources of joy in our lives? People. Isn't that true? Now, what's the flip side? What is one of the greatest sources of sadness and pain and disappointment in our lives? People. People. We know that relationships can be really hard and really challenging and really complicated. And here's a brief video that points that out. You know, there was a time when talking with my wife had all the appeal of root canal. Sometimes my house seemed like a war zone and my kids were the enemy. Even at my job, I was trampled on, overworked, underpaid, and oftentimes very thirsty. Then I talked to my doctor and learned I was one of millions of Americans suffering from RHD, Relational Harmony Disorder. He told me about a little yellow pill that could change my life. If you are currently experiencing difficulty in your relationships, it may be time to talk to your doctor about Harmonex. This single yellow pill taken daily can change disorder and chaos into tranquility and joy. A single yellow pill. RHD is a serious condition and needs to be dealt with by a medical professional. I used to have trouble relating to people, but now thanks to Harmonex, I don't have to. Harmonex is a prescription medication and may not be suitable for everyone. There have been some negative results with Harmonex and side effects may occur. If your wife is pregnant or has a pregnant friend, you should begin taking Harmonex immediately. You should not handle guns or knives in the house before taking Harmonex. Memory loss, loss of liver function, or the mysterious appearance of Rod Serling may occur. The FDA and Dr. Phil have not approved these statements and you would be a fool to think a pill can solve your issues. Talk to your doctor. Harmonex. Achieve perfect harmony without all the work. Boy, that's a great line. Achieve perfect harmony without all the work. Well, we know that relationships are work, and they're complicated, and they're challenging. I found some interesting quotes about relationships this week that I wanted to share with you. One goes like this. A wise man knows that when a woman says, what? It's not because she didn't hear you. It's because she's giving you a chance to change what you said. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> Here's another Options for relationship status. Single, in a relationship, engaged, married, divorced, waiting for a miracle. Some of us kind of are in that category, right? We're just waiting for a miracle. Here's another. 
May your relationships someday be as awesome as you pretend they are on Facebook. Now, here's the thing. The Bible says that God created us with a need for relationships. That's part of what it means to be made in God's image. And I want you to check out this statement on your outline. It says this, God wants us to enjoy the people he's placed in our lives. In order to do this, we need to see people from whose perspective? God's perspective, God's point of view. How can we do that? How can you see people from God's perspective? Now, to answer that question, we're going to look at a letter written by a man named Paul. Paul's a follower of Jesus back in the first century. And Paul learned how to enjoy the people God placed in his life. And this is really a fascinating letter. It's called Philippians, written to people who live in the city of Philippi. And as you walk through the Bible, you get some backstory to what's going on with this group of believers in Philippi because the book of Acts talks about several people in that church family. There's Lydia, this very wealthy businesswoman. There's this slave girl from Greece. There's a a Roman jailer who was in charge of the prison where Paul was being held. And so this group of people in this church in Philippi come from all kinds of different ethnic backgrounds, different social status, but there's one thing that holds them together, commitment. Uh, I saw a poster that really got my attention. There's this older couple and they're holding hands. And under them is this caption that says this, how did we manage to stay together for 65 years? We were born in a time where if something was broken, we would fix it, not throw it away. Now as Paul looks at these believers in Philippi, he knows that their relationships are not perfect but he wants them to fix those relationships and not throw them away. So what does that take? It takes commitment. A commitment to Jesus, a commitment to each other, a commitment to the mission that Jesus has given us in this world. And church, it's really interesting. When we have our discoverers class, our membership class, that's what we talk about. That a strong, healthy church is built on the foundation of commitment. And there are three commitments. A commitment to follow Jesus, a commitment to share your life with other believers, a commitment to reach out to those around you with compassion. And all three of those commitments have to do with a relationship. Think about that. A relationship with Jesus, a relationship with other believers, and relationships that you build with people outside of God's family to invite them into God's family. And Paul, in this letter, says, you know what? I have learned how to enjoy the people that God's placed in my life. I've learned some really important lessons about relationships, and we're going to learn from Paul this morning. So would you like to learn how to enjoy the people that God's placed in your life? Let me walk you through this, because this is really, really practical stuff. Here's the first thing we need to do to enjoy the people that God's placed in our lives. You need to have them on your mind. You need to have them on your mind. And I need to have them on the screen. There we go. Was that it? Okay, let's try this again. All right, you need to have them on your mind. Now, this is what Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 3. He says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with what? I pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, this is really interesting. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you. So, Paul, when he thinks about these Philippian believers, he's thankful for them. He's thankful for their friendship. He's thankful for their encouragement. He's thankful for their support. Now, what does that mean for us? If you want to enjoy the people that God's placed in your life, you have to learn to be thankful for them, right? Thankful for their friendship, for their encouragement, for their support. Now, were the people in Philippi perfect? Of course not. They're people. 
It's a church family. There's all kinds of stuff going on. But here's what's fascinating to me. Paul says, I thank my God every time I, what's the next word? Remember you. So Paul apparently has a selective memory as he thinks about these people. He remembers the good things about them. Now, what does that mean for us? That if you want to enjoy the people that God's placed in your life, you need a selective memory. You have to choose what to remember. Here's a story that I, I read this week. It says this. When my three-year-old son opened the birthday gift from his grandmother, he discovered a water pistol. He squealed with delight and headed for the nearest sink. I was not so pleased. I turned to mom and said, I'm, I'm really surprised at you. Don't you remember how we used to drive you crazy with water guns? Mom smiled and then replied, oh yeah, I remember. If you want to enjoy the people that God's placed in your life, you have to choose what to remember. And this is really important because, you know, sometimes we hurt each other. Sometimes that's unintentional, but the hurt's still there. Sometimes we offend each other. Sometimes we disappoint each other. And so we need to choose what to remember. And we can choose to remember the times that we helped each other, the times we prayed for one another, the times we really loved and forgave each other. And as Paul thinks about these believers, as he chooses what to remember, he remembers this. He remembers their partnership. He says, I thank God for your partnership in the gospel. Now, the gospel, again, is the good news about Jesus. And church family, this is so important because if we're going to enjoy the people that God's placed in our lives, and in particular in our church family, we have to remember the things that hold us together. And here's one of the really important things to remember, that we share in God's grace. We share in God's grace. You see these chairs here in this room? Do you know who these chairs are reserved for? They're reserved for people who have failed. They are reserved for people who have broken hearts. These chairs are reserved for people who struggle with addictions, whose lives are not perfect. And who is that? Every single one of us. And when you're a believer, when you've been rescued by God's grace, that's what holds us together. We share in God's grace. And here's something else we share in. We share in God's mission. God's mission. Because God doesn't just call us into his family so that we can be isolated from the rest of the world. We have a responsibility and a privilege to take this good news of Jesus to other people so they can know that, hey, there's somebody who loves me. There's somebody who came to heal my broken heart and set me free. And so we share in God's grace. We share in God's mission. And here's something else that Paul, that Paul focused on. He focused on the work that God was doing in these Philippian believers. And this is what he says. Let's go back to verse 3. It says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. and all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then Paul makes this really important statement. Being confident, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, even though Paul's in prison, he says, hey, I'm confident that the work I began here in Philippi is going to move forward. I'm confident that you Christians are going to take this message of Jesus to other people. Now, why is Paul so confident? Does he think these uh, Christians in Philippi are like super Christians? You guys are amazing! Or does he think that, you know, it's him? His confidence is in being such a great apostle? I mean, where's his confidence, do you think? His confidence is where? Church, where's his confidence? It's in God. 
Absolutely. His confidence is in God. And there's such an important lesson here for us when it comes to relationships. And this is especially true in church families. Where you place your confidence greatly affects the joy that you have in those relationships. And here's what I mean. If you are placing your confidence in me as your pastor to meet all of your needs, to always be there for you, to never say or do anything wrong, guess what? You're going to be disappointed at some point in time because I am an imperfect pastor. I'm an imperfect father. I'm an imperfect husband. Now, what's the flip side? If I'm placing my confidence in you, that, you know, every time I teach God's truth, it's just, you know, you're going to just take everything I say and put it into practice perfectly. You're never going to complain or criticize. Am I going to be disappointed? Yeah, and listen, I'm not trying to be negative or pessimistic. This is just the truth of Scripture. We have a heart problem. And so here's the thing. If you put your confidence in other people, you will be disappointed. Have you ever experienced that? We all have, right? What about this? What happens when you put your confidence in yourself? Do you ever let yourself down? Man, I do it all the time. But what if you put your confidence in God? See, God always comes through, and that's what Paul's talking about. He says, place your confidence in God. And, and I wrote this statement down because I think it's so important. It says this, placing our confidence in God frees us to enjoy one another without expecting perfection. It enables us to rejoice in the times we got it right, not just complain about the times we got it wrong. And that helps us to enjoy the people that God's placed in our lives. Now notice this about the work of God in our lives. The work that God does for us. And this is really salvation. This is being rescued. You can't rescue yourself. God rescues you. And here's another thing. There's the work that God does in us. And that's the work that he does in the Christian through the power of his spirit, giving you the desire and the ability to do the right thing, to live a life that honors him. And then there's the work that God does through us, the way that we serve others, that we engage in the mission that God's called us to. Now, let me say this to those of you who this morning came through these doors and your head was down and you were feeling discouraged. You know, maybe you look at your life and you think about your failures and your faults and how hard it is to change. Listen carefully. Don't place your confidence in yourself. Don't place your confidence in other people. Place your confidence in God. Because there is a promise here. Paul says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion. Remember that God is at work in you, Christian, and he will never, ever give up. He will complete his work. So how can you enjoy the people that God's placed in your heart? First, you have to have them where? You can say this together, on your, on your mind. And here's the second place, you need to have them in your heart. You need to have them in your heart. And this is really important because somebody said this one time, um, when people are not on your heart, it's very easy for them to get on your nerves. And that certainly can be true. Look at these verses where Paul goes on and says this. This is in verse 7. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you where? In my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And this is a really pivotal verse. He says this in verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. There was a, a young man who told his mother that he had fallen in love and he was going to get married. And so his mother said, well, that's interesting. Um, who is the uh, lucky lady? And he said, well, Mom, here's what I'd like to do. I want to invite three young women to the house tomorrow and you get to guess which one I'm going to marry. She said, all right. 
So he invites these three young women over and they sit on the couch and, and they talk with his mom for a while and then they go home and he says, hey mom, well, okay, which one do you think I'm going to marry? She goes, that's really easy. He says, okay, which one? She said, the one in the middle. He said, how did you figure that out? She says, because she's the only one I don't like. <laughs> Are there people in your life that you don't like? When it comes to the people that God's placed in our lives, how many of them does he want us to love? Yeah, we know the answer, don't we? question is, really? How do you do that? I, I was thinking this week about the experience that, that people have when they go to weddings because often there are these Bible verses that you read in weddings. Sometimes it's the pastor or the person maybe who's just a part of the wedding ceremony and they come from another letter that Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians 13, and, and there's these beautiful, beautiful words about love. And often, you know, um, the two people being married just kind of staring into each other's eyes and, and the words are being read, love is, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. And then, you know, as that passage continues, Paul writes this, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, and then the, the crescendo, love never fails. Really? I mean, you, you look at the people in the room where the marriage ceremony is taking place and you go, wow, there's a lot of failed relationships in this room. I know this person's not talking to that person and this marriage fell apart and uh, it's a mess. What do you mean love never fails? Well, there's a really important distinction between our love and God's love. And we sang about it just a few minutes ago. Your love, God, never fails. So what does that mean? It means that if we're going to have relationships that are going to stay together, if we're going to have relationships that are reconciled, we need a love stronger than our love, don't we? We need a love that comes from God through us to other people. And that's exactly what Paul says in verse 8. He says this, God can testify. God himself can testify how I long for all of you, how I love you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And so church, here's the principle that's so important the love we need for others comes from Christ through us. It flows through our hearts to other people. The Bible says that we love because God first loved us. And the degree to which we love is so closely connected to the amount of love that we've experienced and received. So let me ask you this. Is there somebody in your life who's hard to love? Somebody that's hard to get along with? Somebody that's hard to forgive? What do you do? Well, I can tell you this. When you're a Christian, you go back to the cross. And you realize how much you are loved. See, when we have a communion service, it's an opportunity to do that, isn't it? Oh, man, God, it's amazing how much you love me that you would sacrifice your son and you stand under this waterfall of grace because that's what communion is about. It's called a means of grace. It's how God pours his grace into our hearts and that should change something. It should change us. It should give us the love and the forgiveness that we need for other people. And that's exactly what Paul is talking about. So, if you're going to enjoy the people that God's placed in your life, you need to have them where? What's the first place? On your mind, in your heart, and here's the third thing, you need to have them in your prayers. In your prayers. In fact, I, I love teaching kids, because with kids I use hand motions. And can we do that? Because I think it'll help you remember the message. So if you're going to enjoy the people that God's placed in your life, you need to have them on your mind, in your heart. Could you like this? That's good. In your heart and in your prayers. 
So this is, this is really remarkable. Paul prays for people all the time. The question is why? Why does he pray? And, and here's the simple answer. He loves them. He loves these Philippian believers. He wants them to grow and change and become the people that God made them to be. Church family, why do I pray for you guys and gals? Why do I pray for the families in our church? Why was I up this morning early praying for our church? Because I love you. I really do. And I want you to grow. I want you to change. I want you to become the person that God made you to be. Why should you pray for the people that God's placed in your life? Have you got this yet? (laughs) Yeah, because you love them. Because you want them to grow and change and become the people that God made them to be. There's a story about Michelangelo, the great sculptor. And so he's pushing this, this big, heavy rock up this incline. He's trying to get it to a level place where he can work on it as a sculptor. And his neighbor looks at him and says, Michelangelo, why do you work so hard on that huge, ugly piece of rock? Michelangelo says, because there's an angel inside waiting to be discovered. Michelangelo looks at that rock, and what does he see? He sees the potential. He sees what could be. The Apostle Paul looks at the believers in Philippi, and he sees their potential. And that's why he prays for them so hard. Church family, I look at you on Sunday morning. I think about you and pray for you during the week, and I see this incredible potential And it fuels my prayers because I want God, the master architect of your life, to sculpt you into his masterpiece. And this is is so helpful because Paul doesn't just say, hey, I'm praying for you. He says, this is exactly what I'm praying for you. And listen, we can look at what Paul prayed and then use that as an example of how to pray for the people that God's placed in our lives. Can can we do that? We're going to work our way through this very quickly. But here is what Paul prays. And then I'm just going to summarizes in three ways. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the praise and the glory of God. Now, that's, that's a prayer. But I want to just show you three things in that prayer that you can pray for the people that God's placed in your life. And here's the first. Pray that others will have a growing love based on knowledge and insight. A growing love. Pray that the people in your life will grow in their capacity to love. Now, there was a statement I read this week by the famous theologian, Dr. Seuss. And he wrote about this character who had a heart condition and he had a really hard time loving other people. Do you know who that character is? The Grinch who stole Christmas. Now, these are really eloquent words written by Dr. Seuss that really help us, help me this week. He says this, The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Now, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. Ever feel like the Grinch? When it comes to the people that God's placed in your life, God, here's the truth. My heart is just two sizes too small. So how do you get a bigger heart? pray. See, that's why we pray for each other to grow in our capacity to love. Pray for the people in your life that God would give them a bigger heart to love him and to love others. And see, that's what happens when we stand under that waterfall of grace. Our hearts get bigger. Now, here's another thing we can pray for, for the people that God's placed in our lives. Pray that others will be able to know and choose what is best. Know and choose what is best. Now, there's an important connection there. 
How many of you have ever known the best thing to do, but you didn't do it? Okay, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Paul says, pray that the people that you love will know what is best and then choose what is best. Now, students, let me ask you this. Why do your parents and your teachers want you to make good choices? Why do you think they talk to you about making good choices? What's the motivation? And if you're a parent, you can answer the question. Why do you want your kids to make good choices? Yeah, you love them, exactly. Love is the foundational reason. And you know something else that choices have... Yeah, oh man, they do. It's like if you're trying to pick up a stick, you can't pick up one end without picking up the other end, right? You have this choice, you're going to experience a consequence. Now, what kind of consequences do good choices have? Good consequences. What kind of consequences do bad choices have? Bad consequences. What kind of consequences do the best choices have? The best consequences. And see, Paul writes to these believers and says, listen, I pray that you will be able to know and to choose what is best because your life is made up of the choices that you make over time. And this is so true. I mean, in so many ways, the, the fabric of your life today was woven together by the choices that you've made over time. I mean, there are other factors that have shaped your life, but that's a huge one. And in fact, I was thinking about it when I woke up this morning. We're going to go through this whole day making choice after choice after choice. Well, if we make really good choices today, if we make the best choices today, what kind of day are we going to have? Really great day, right? If we make bad choices, we're not going to have a very good day. And so this is something that is at work all the time in our lives. So the question is, okay, I really want to make not just a good choice, I want to make the best choice. How do I do that? And God says, hey, come to me. Come to me. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. That's what it says in the book of Psalms. So we go to the book and we say, God, what do you want me to do? God, give me wisdom. We go to other people that are, that are godly, that understand the Bible and understand Jesus and his love for us. Say, what, what do you think I should do? And then we make choices that honor God. And as you do that consistently, you know what it does? It shapes your character. And you become more and more like Jesus. Because guess who always made the best choice? He did. And that leads us to this third thing that we can pray for each other. It says, pray that others will develop godly character through a close connection with Christ. Pray that others will develop godly character through a close connection with Christ. Now, church family, I am, I am so thankful for the privilege that God gives me week in and week out to, to stand up here and to try to take the truth of God's word and teach it in such a way that it impacts your life. Because this truth is not just to inform us, it's to transform us. And the Bible is clear. God says, I don't want you to just listen to the word. I want you to put it into practice. So here's what I want to do. I want to take the principles that we just looked at about praying for other people and do it right now. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to think of somebody that you can pray for right now. And you might want to just, you know, write down their name or their initial on a piece of paper in front of you or just keep it in your head. But I want to take a moment and lead you in a prayer so that we can pray that they will grow in love, that they'll know and choose what's best, and they'll grow in Christ-like character. So I want you to take a moment and think about the person that you want to pray for. And listen, it could be you want to pray that for yourself. That's fine. Maybe you want to pray for the person who's sitting next to you right now. Or somebody in your family, a friend, a coworker, whoever it is, but get that person's face in your mind right now. And then let's bow our heads and let's pray together. And I'm going to do the same thing. 
Lord, thank you for the the power and the privilege of prayer. And Lord, right now, um, each one of us wants to just pray to you for the person that we're thinking of, that you, God, would increase their capacity to love you and to love others. So just pray that right now for that person. And God, we also want to do this. We want to pray for this person to be able to know and to choose what is best. And God, we want to pray for this person that you brought to our mind that they would develop godly character through a close connection with Jesus. Father, we believe that there is power when we pray together, and we're thankful for that. And Lord, as we think about the people that you've placed in our lives today, we we know that your plan is that we really enjoy each other and love each other. And and yet, God, we know the sad reality is that so many people have been deeply hurt by their relationships. And God, we want to pray, and I want to pray this in particular for our church family, that you would bring healing. And Lord, where there is just a, a, a relational rift that's so wide and so deep. God, would you bring healing? Would you please enable us to do what you said, to keep praying and not give up? And Lord, I pray today that you would help us to take this, this truth and put it into practice. God, help us to keep each other on our minds as we focus on what we share in common, your, your grace and your mission. Lord, I pray that You would help us to keep each other in our hearts as we love each other with the love that we've received from Christ. And Lord, I pray that you'll enable us to keep each other in our prayers like we've just done. And Lord, as we come to this table now, as we celebrate your great love, would you please enable us to stand, God, right now under that waterfall of grace and know how much you love us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.